Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad that you took the time to listen to this message. You're listening to the third in our series, Relationship Rehab. We think that this is going to be something you want to hear. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, enjoy. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true. Makes sense. Though someday God will do it with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. Come on, somebody. The title of our message this morning, then you can clap your hands, then you can touch the person next to you and welcome them to church, is the blessing of boundaries. The blessing of boundaries. Thank you so much, worship team. Man, we're so excited you guys could be here. We're in the third part of our series, Relationship Rehab. Can you guys just let me know if you've been here for this series at all? Maybe you've seen some things online, been following on YouTube. Make some noise. Any of you guys watched any of this on YouTube? Come on, let's go. A few YouTubians. Uh, so good, man. We hope this series has been helping you. And just not even if you're in a relationship, but we, we just think this is going to help you pre-relationship, right? Like if you have plans for, for being with someone one day, but we hope that you've seen that, man, you can be single and secure because your value is in Jesus, not another person. So good. Um, and we just hope that if you're in a relationship, that uh, God has been slowly restoring. And so we're in the third part of our series. And uh, like I said, I have a lot to say this morning. So are you guys okay if I say a few things? I just, I just need your permission. Um, so I'm going to get right to the word. Um, I'm just, this is going to date me a little bit, um, just in case you don't know how old I am. Um, but when I was growing up, one of the, like, the most hype things that there was was Beanie Babies. Yeah. Anyone know Beanie Babies? Yeah. A few people. Anyone grew up in that era of the Beanie Baby? <laughs> uh, and it's funny. If those of you guys don't know what a Beanie Baby is, um, it's basically just like they're stuffed animals, but instead of having stuffing in them, it's like just beans. And they're beanie babies. And so these things, when I was younger, man, they were all the hype. And so I remember, like, just whenever my parents would go anywhere, we were just praying they would come home and bring us beanie babies. And, and the thing about beanie babies, if you guys remember, the thing that made them the most hype was that with beanie babies, there was this promise, if you guys remember, that they would one day be worth a lot of money. Do you guys remember this? And so, like, one of the things that you had to do, if you, if you wanted your Beanie Baby to be worth a lot of money, you had to make sure it was in mint condition, especially with the TY tag. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so as kids, like, we're young, but, like, we were told these things are going to be valuable one day. But you're kids, and so as kids, like, when you mess around, like, you mess around. And so I just remember we'd be devastated if our TY tag fell off. And I was ultra devastated because I actually had a book made by the Beanie Baby Company themselves. And in this book, it documented exactly how much the Beanie Babies would be worth in 10, 20, 30 years. Anyone have that book? Like, now look, I was the only one, I guess. I sold one copy. They sold one copy. I mean, like, looking back, like, you should be weary of any toy company that tells you their $5 tushy toys will be worth $30,000 one day. Like, Probably should have known that, probably should have realized that. Um, but we just, we got caught in the hype. My family got caught in the hype. We thought these things were so valuable. And it wasn't just my immediate family, like my extended family. I had an aunt on my mom's side. I had an aunt on my dad's side. Both of them got caught up in the hype. And in both of my aunt's houses, I'll never forget. Do you guys remember the Beanie Baby cases? 
and they had these cases to keep these things safe. And so literally, my aunts, they like displayed these in their houses. And I remember as a kid, I was mesmerized because I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so valuable. Like these are gonna be worth something one day. Now for a lot of people, because the Beanie Baby phase was like 1996 to like early 2000s, um, people actually consider Beanie Baby as the first internet sensation. And so uh, what we know about internet sensations now is that things die very fast. And so the Beanie Baby craze died. And so unfortunately they're not worth anything. Um, but it's funny because I was just thinking about the story and I was just thinking about how as people, um, we often have a tendency to put emphasis and value on the wrong things. Have you guys ever realized that? Like we emphasize things that eventually and inevitably do not matter. Now, I'm just gonna be honest this morning. Uh, we're talking about sex all morning. And especially when it comes to sex, I've, I've realized that like, I think a lot of times like we emphasize the wrong aspects of sex especially within church. We, we tend to paint the wrong picture. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want to speak all about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> now, some of you guys, you may feel uncomfortable if you're sitting next to your parents. Um, <laughs> just to ease your mind, uh, my whole family goes to this church and I'm talking about it. So <laughs> no one's going to be more uncomfortable than me. But I think that the reason that I want to talk about sex is because sex is so powerful. And the way that the Bible describes sex is so powerful, but it's also so beautiful. You see, when it comes to emphasis, I think a lot of times what happens, especially like within church, is that we end up emphasizing the wrong things when it comes to sex. And so what I want to do this morning, what I want to do is I want us to see what the Bible has to say about sex. Because I think that sex is powerful, and if we can have the proper picture and the correct picture of sex, it can change everything. You see, I'm of the belief that sex is so powerful, not only does it change our relationships, because we're in relationship rehab, but sex has the power to actually change our lives. And so having the proper picture, having the correct picture then, is extremely, extremely important. Something crazy that I read this week, it said that 80% of adolescents will learn about sex either through the internet, through TV, or through their peers. That's 80% of people. Now, I'm sure if you guys would just think back for a moment, the very first time you learned anything, you'd probably say, maybe that was me, right? Like, maybe it was from the internet, maybe it was from TV, maybe it was from friends. And what's so interesting about that stat that 80% of people will learn about sex through one of those means is that what that means is at best, listen to this, you're only getting a partial picture of what sex actually is. Because if it's locker room talk, like it's just something you heard people talking about, it's just a picture. If you've actually only seen a, a picture, it's literally just a picture. And even for some people, it's like, man, you know what, we have, internet, we have the internet now, and so we can actually see everything. But what you're going to see this morning is because just because you can see everything, it doesn't mean you know everything. And it doesn't mean you know the bigger picture. And so this is the other crazy stat. It says 20% of people will learn about sex through their families, which we think is good. And, and, you know, a lot of us, we're hoping that we're part of that 20%. But you see, the way that the cycles work in life, if 80% of people learn about sex through either the TV, internet, peers, and, or any of those things, what that means is that as the generations occur, as parents are now teaching their kids, it doesn't necessarily mean they're teaching their kids the right things. You guys see what I'm saying? That's how generational cycles go. And so your parents could have taught you, but if they taught you the wrong thing, it's just as dangerous as TV, the internet, 
or your friends. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at what the Bible says about sex. And I want to make sure that we emphasize the proper picture of what the Bible paints. Because like I said, sex is powerful and sex is beautiful. And that's what I want us to see this morning. So we're going to go on a journey here. Anyone ready for this? Come on, somebody. Who's ready to go on a journey this morning? I've already said sex 45 times, so I need, I need to know that you guys are with me. Because I'll tell you guys this, it's about to get a whole lot more quiet in here. Come on, somebody. I want us to see what the Bible says, and listen to this. And we need to make this distinction. What the Bible says is often different when the church, than what the church says. Because for a lot of people, they grew up in church, and it was like, man, sex is dirty, sex is gross, just wait till you're married. And that's, that's kind of all you hear about it, right? And so as we talk about sex this morning, I'm going to speak very directly. But I'm also going to speak delicately. Because whether we agree or not, I think sex affects all of us. I would say if you're over the age of 12, sex affects you. I would say if you have a kid under the age of 12 and they have a cell phone, guess what? They've at least seen something sexually explicit. And so sex affects all of us. And so that's why I want to speak directly but because it affects all of us, I want to speak delicately. But what I really want to do is I want us to see what the Word of God has to say. And so that's what we've been doing in this whole series, Relationship Rehab. We've been looking in the Word of God. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to the book of Genesis. We were in Genesis chapter 1 in week 1 of this series, but we're going back. Some will say we're going back. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Someone say amen. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now listen, what we learned in week one was that when God created Adam, uh, God then created Eve. We said that Eve was his Azar, his helper, his picture of God. It was really beautiful. Go back and listen to week one if you missed it. But what I want us to see is that after God creates this perfect union, after God creates marriage, you want to know the very first thing he says to them? Can I break this down? He says, go have sex. He says, you're blessed. Go have sex. He said it right. Nice. Come on, the rest of y'all are thinking it. You can say it. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He says, go have sex. Now, for a lot of people, listen for a second, especially within church circles, there's this idea that, well, I guess that just means that sex is for reproduction, because he says, be fruitful and multiply. But listen for a second. Biology tells us that sex is not just for reproduction. You want to know why? Because when God created the universe, when God created human beings, you know what he could have done? We could have laid eggs. We, we could have. Right? And then we can go fertilize the egg. But God is very specific when he creates sex between a man and a woman. He says, it's good. And, and here's the thing that I want to see about the creation week. And, and I've talked about this before, but when it comes to sex, there's many aspects of it that are very pleasurable as well. And that has nothing to do with reproduction. That's how God created it to be. But I want us to see something. Because in the creation week, what happens after every time God creates, every day, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says it is Good. He says, it is good. God creates, it is good. God creates, it is good. And so God creates Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and muffled. He says, have sex. You know what that means? Here's our big point. Sex is good. Sex is good. Come on, someone say amen. amen. Let's go. Sex is good. 
It's so funny. I remember when I was in grade six, uh, we were in sex, sex education class, and uh, it was one of those like, question and answer times, and so we're 12 years old, it was all boys, and we had a boy teacher, and someone asked a question, they said, what does sex feel like? And then I'll never forget the teacher, he was a male, he uncrimpled the piece of paper, and he read the question, and he looked at it, he read it, and then he had this wry smile on his face, <laughs> and he said, sex feels good, sex feels very good. And I remember the whole class just erupted with laughter because we're 12-year-old boys with all these weird hormones. Um, but he's like, sex feels good. Here's the reality. Can I tell you something? Sex feels good. But what the Bible tells us is sex just does, not, does not just feel good. Sex is good. And sex is good because God created it as good. Everyone following? You know what's so funny? When people have this idea of church, and it's like, man, you know what? Church is so, like, is so sexually repressive. God is against sexuality. God doesn't want us to be sexual beings. Like God creates us with, if God is real, why does he create us with all these emotions and then he tells us not to have sex? Like it doesn't make sense. But when you read the Bible, what you see is that God created sex and God created sex to be good. Therefore, sex is good. But what we see in Genesis 1, and 28 is that God also creates sex within a boundary with a husband and a wife within the confines of marriage. And so it's so interesting because, listen to this, some people are like, man, there's so many rules against sexuality. Why is God so against sex? Can we be straight up and understand? God gave one rule. You guys following? He didn't give us a whole list of rules. He gave us one rule, and all it is is a boundary. He says, all you need to know about sex is when to have it, husband and wife. That's it. That, that's the opposite of what the world says, because the world says, no, God is sexually repressive. It's quite the opposite. God creates Adam and Eve, and I'm going to be honest, they were probably good looking, and they were naked. And so Eve had all the things that Adam was looking for. Come on, somebody. And Adam had all the things that Eve was looking for. And God says, guess what? No boundaries, no nothing. Do what you got to do. Be fruitful, because sex is good. The only thing I'm going to give you is a boundary. That's it. That's all that God gives us because sex is good. Man, it's funny though because as the church, I think a lot of times we mess up this picture. Like what if we could begin to change the narrative? Because I think for so many people that grow up in church, there's this idea that, man, that sex is bad. Like sex is gross, sex is, I don't, want, I don't want to do this. But what if we could begin to change the picture and what if we could begin to reclaim what the Bible teaches that sex is good just within the proper boundaries? You see, what happens for so many of us is when we hear the word boundaries, we take it as a negative. Can I tell you something? Boundaries properly explained are a positive. And we would all agree. Can I show you how? I know that. When we're driving on the street, I've never heard anyone say, man, I wish there wasn't a median here. I wish there was no lanes. I wish we could just all do whatever we want to do. But the thing is, because we understand boundaries, we understand the purpose for them, we don't question them because they make sense. And we realize, man, they're there to protect us. In fact, they're actually there to save our lives. And so when it comes to sex, man, sex is good within the good boundaries that God has created. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to show why it's good, but I also want us to show why God has boundaries. And so what I want to do as well is I want to change this picture that people have about the church. 
where the church is against sex. The church does not like sex because God loves sex because he created it. Just with boundaries. It's funny, when I became a pastor, a lot of my unchurched friends, the very first thing they said to me, they're like, man, that sucks. You can't have sex ever again. And I was like, no. But that's just, you see, that's the picture, right? That's the picture and that's the perception that people have that God is against sex, but it could not be further from the opposite. So here's what I want us to get into our hearts. Sex is good because God created it. And because God created sex, I'm going to submit that boundaries are good as well. Because everything that God created in creation week was good. And God gave us boundaries. And so therefore, boundaries must be good. And so what I submit is this. God sets the boundaries, not me. God sets the boundaries, not me. You see, what the enemy tries to do, listen to this, what the enemy will try to do is he will try to plant a seed of doubt in our hearts. And I know all of us at times have felt this. And it's like, do you really think the Bible is still relevant in 2020? Do you really expect us to wait in 2020? Have you, maybe you guys have heard this one. Tell me if you heard this one. You would never go and buy a car before test driving it. You guys heard that one? Like that would, be, that would be irresponsible for you to just go buy a car without test driving it. Guess what? We're going back to week one. In fact, we're going back to Genesis 1.27. It says that you were created in the image of God. Hold on one second. I'm going somewhere. You know what that means? That means you have intricate and infinite value. You know what you test drive? You test drive a used Toyota Corolla because you're not sure about it, because it could break down. But you will never test drive a Lamborghini. You know why? Because you're going to trust this good. So listen, next time someone says test drive it, say, guess what? I'm a Lamborghini. I don't need no one test driving me. I'm good because God created me as good. Come on. Lord have mercy. Don't need a test drive. Nothing. You're a Ferrari. Listen, I don't got, I don't got time. I got places to go, but sexual. Listen, listen, listen. Sexual chemistry is a myth. Understand that. We can talk after. I can't, I can't break it down, but it, it's a myth. And it's a myth that says, man, I have to find the person I have. The... It's a myth. God sets the boundaries, not me. It's funny, though, in life, man, like, we understand this, but with God, we make it more difficult. It's like this week, my friend Bobby is in the front row with a hat laughing uncontrollably <laughs> and uncomfortably. Um, <laughs> This week, he came, to, he came to my house, and uh, he just bought a new mic because uh, he wants to do some podcasting things. And it's like, I mean, a semi-expensive mic. And uh, he's like, hey, let's go test it out your house. Let's put it into your laptop. Let's see what it does. And so this mic, it, it wasn't that complicated. But you want to know the very first thing that we did when we got the mic? We referred to the instruction manual. Didn't say a lot. Just a couple of things. But the reason that we did that was because we submitted that the people that created this mic probably know more about it than me. So I'm going to listen to what they say. And the beauty of that mic and the beauty of God is that it was literally one thing. But the seed of doubt. Well, maybe I know better. Well, God couldn't... What we are saying is God sets the boundaries, not me. God sets the boundaries, not me. I choose to believe that God gives boundaries for a reason. 
And here's the thing. I've said this throughout all the history of our church, and I'll say it over and over again. The beauty of God is that God does not say anything in jest. God does not just say, because I feel like it. Because I think God says it because he knows us better than anyone else. If he created me, I'm going to believe that I have all the tools that I need to succeed in the way that God wants me to succeed. Because the lie of the enemy when it comes to sexuality is, you know what, I just can't make it. It's just, but I'm going to believe if God has put this in me, if I'm created in such a way, I can do it. God sets the boundaries, not me. But here's the beauty of God as well. And I'm going to get here in a second. It should be enough. I've said this many times. It should be enough, just like God says so, therefore. But I know for a lot of us, we're all intellectual people. And so it's like, I need a reason. I need a reason that God says only have sex when you're married, only have sex with one partner. Just, I need a reason. And so I want to give us a reason because the beauty of God is that he is not arbitrary in any way. Mark chapter 10, we kind of looked at this verse last week, but I think we read it in Matthew. Uh, But speaking about marriage, Jesus says this. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, this is so interesting because the question that Jesus was asked was about divorce. And instead of really even talking about divorce, Jesus goes straight to marriage. And even more specifically, Jesus starts talking about sex. You see, what he is saying right here, Jesus is trying to show us the power of sex. He's saying what sex is, it's two people coming together to become one. Jesus is trying to show us the power of sex. Listen to this. The reason that we need boundaries, can I I be real? Is because of how powerful sex is. If sex was not powerful, we wouldn't need boundaries. But sex is so powerful. Jesus, the way he describes it, he literally says it is a binding is so powerful. But listen, here's the myth of our world. This is the biggest myth. The myth is that sex is purely physical. Jesus says, no, 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 sex is not just physical. Sex is not just physical. There's a binding that happens. Do you guys want to know what a physical need is? Can I tell you? A physical need is when your back is itchy. I hurt my shoulder last week. I told you guys this, and it's getting better. I was able to praise both hands today. Um, but like, there was times last week when like, I had a, like, a scratch on my back that like, I literally couldn't reach. Have you guys ever felt that torture before? It's like, I can't reach it. Now, the funny thing about your back being itchy and the reason we know it's a physical need is because what happens is that when that physical need is met with physicality, it's gone. And so when my back is itchy, guess what? I'm not looking for the right person. I'm not looking for someone that checks off all my boxes. In fact, when I'm real desperate, I don't even need a human. I just need something to relieve the itch because it's physical. The lie that our world perpetrates and puts forward is that sex is purely physical. Jesus says it's not just physical. It's three things. I'm going to break them down. It's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. That is what sex is. You're like, Harrison, show me. I'll tell you why it's emotional. Maybe you've heard this situation before. Man, we've been together for three months. I'm just not sure why they're so attached to me. I don't even like them. You want to know why they're attached emotionally? Come on, somebody. It's because you're having sex. 
because sex brings in an emotional aspect. It's not just physical. If it was just physical, listen to this, after the act would be over, the itch would go away. You know what else that could mean? You could only have sex once. But there's, there's more to it. There's more to it. Sex is more than just physical. It's emotional. That's why when we have sex with people, we are literally emotionally attaching to them. And so some people have this thought where it's like, man, I'm not sure why I can't get over that relationship. I didn't even really like them. They treated me like crap. You know why? It's because you're not just physically tied to them. That, that, that physicality brought emotional attachment as well. We talked about this last week a little bit. But the last thing, the, the third thing that he says, he says that sex brings in something spiritual. There's a spiritual nature to sex. Let's go to Paul for a second in 1 Corinthians because I think that he, he, he brings this out even more. He says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do it with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. Now, for some of us, we're like, okay, why are we talking about food and sex? Like, it seems like two opposite ends of the spectrum. Don't make any sick Valentine's Day jokes. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Um, they, seem like, they seem like they're two distinct things. So why is Paul bringing in food and sex? You want to know why? You see, in Jewish thinking, there was this idea that what you ate made you either clean or unclean. That what you ate made you closer to God. That what you ate made a difference. Now, when Jesus comes in in Mark chapter 7, he basically says, guess what? What goes in you comes out of you. Food cannot make you unclean. Therefore, all food is clean. And so Paul agrees because they have this new mindset, man. It's like food is made for the stomach and the stomach for the food, so it doesn't matter what I eat. It doesn't affect me spiritually. And Paul says, yes, I agree. You're right. But he's like, sex doesn't work like that. Food is physical. Sex is something more. He says, you cannot say that. And so he goes on, he says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her body. Listen to this. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. Did we just hear that somewhere? That's what, that's what Jesus said. You guys know that Jesus didn't originally say that? Jesus was actually quoting Genesis. The and so here's the thing for sex. Understand this, because people are like, man, I'm not sure what's relevant. The picture of sex is the same from Genesis to the very end of the Bible. Throughout time, throughout culture, one thing does not change. One thing will never change. Sex is binding. Sex is two people becoming one. And here's the spiritual aspect of it. Sex is covenantal. We talked about covenants last week. And what we said is that when God comes into agreements with people, God comes into agreements using covenants. They're promises. And what's so interesting, when God creates marriage, God creates marriage as a covenant. Man, I hear people all the time, they're like, man, I don't need to get married, it's just a piece of paper. Like, I'm way past that, like, we love each other. <laughs> Understand this, when it comes to marriage for God, it's not the paper. It's covenantal. There's a, God works in covenants. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God works in covenants. You know how Jesus works with us? It's through covenant. 
Jesus made a covenant with us on the cross. You see, here's the beauty. Every covenant has a mark of the covenant. I need you to follow for a second. Every single covenant that you make, there is a mark. In other words, there is something that binds it, something that makes it so. Do you know what the mark of the covenant for marriage is? It's sex. It's sex. How do we confirm that we've come together? How do we confirm that we're married? The Bible does not speak about bridesmaids, groomsmen, bachelorette parties, engagement rings, all none of that. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible says there's one thing that marks if you are married, it's sex. That's the mark of the covenant. Now listen to this. this, is, this is, it's going to be graphic, but it's going to bless you. Every covenant from the Old Testament to the New Testament is marked with blood. When Jesus made that covenantal agreement with us, when he said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you, you know what he did? He shed his blood for us. That's why in Matthew he says, take this cup and drink it. He says, this is the blood of my covenant with you. Every covenant has blood. I'm going to tell you guys something. This is biology. If, you've ever, if you know anything about biology, you will know a woman for the most part. The very first time she has sex, she will bleed. Now, I remember in biology class, they said it's kind of a useless part of your body. It's really arbitrary. There's no point for it. But what I love about Jesus is that God does not create anything with arbitrariness. I don't think that's a word. There's a reason for it. The reason a woman is supposed to bleed on the first time is because the very first time she goes with her husband, what they are doing is they are binding the covenant. It's marked with blood. That's the beauty of God. Sex is covenantal. And so listen to this. Because sex is covenantal, because sex is so spiritual, what that means is this. It's more than just an act. And this is why anyone that's been there will know it's not something that I can easily leave behind. It's something that follows me. Because you know what the Bible says? Sex outside of the boundaries, it's actually marriage without covenant. It's, you're marrying yourself to that person. And so we have this generation of people that say, you know what, go out, explore yourself, have a good time. But what you are literally doing is you are literally getting married. I'm married here, I'm married here, I'm married here, I'm married over here. Well, there was that one time over here too. <laughs> and what the Bible is letting us know is that we are literally leaving pieces of ourselves behind. Because we're entering into marriage without covenant. And can I tell you something? The beauty of sex within the confines that God created it is that it can be the most powerful and the most beautiful thing you'll ever experience. But listen to this. If you experience it outside of the boundaries, you are only experiencing a part of what it is. And sex outside of the boundaries is no longer good. Didn't say it didn't feel good. I said it's no longer good. Because here's the thing. When you experience the real, you'll be able to tell what was counterfeit. I remember my dad a few years back a number of years back, someone bought him a Boston Bruins jersey. And that's our favorite team. We love the Bruins. Come on, somebody. Oilers second. Oilers second. Um, but someone bought him a jersey. And myself, I'm, I'm, I'm a jersey connoisseur. And so uh, I have a number of different Bruins jerseys. And so this is 2011 uh, Winter Classic jersey. And someone bought my dad a Zidane Chara jersey. And he had no jerseys. 
And for whatever reason, he didn't tell us he got this jersey, but I went into his closet one day, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, you have a Bruins jersey. And I pulled it out, and uh, the second that I saw it, I was like, man, this thing's fake. And like, I went, like, I showed my dad, and my dad didn't know. He couldn't tell. He's like, well, I don't get it. Like, it looks fine to me. But you want to know the reason I could distinguish it? Because I had the exact same version of the jersey, just the real one. Listen to this for a second, because there's people in here right now, maybe you're a little bit guarded, and you're like, you know what, I'm having sex right now, and it's not that bad. Until you experience the real thing, it's going to be very hard for you to, 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 to tell what is counterfeit. God's will for our life is to experience the real thing because the real thing is beautiful, it's binding, and it literally has the power to change our relationship. You see, the very essence of sex is sex is physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. And anything outside of that will never be enough. And it will leave you searching and searching and searching because you think you're looking for something physical, but guess what, you're not. You're looking for something spiritual. It's, it's a spiritual need. I love science because it backs us up, and, and this, is, this is true for anyone that knows. Um, what science is finding about pornography is that people that continually and constantly watch porn, what happens is that over time, it becomes harder and harder for them to be sexually aroused. And so this actually leads them to have to watch more and more hardcore content because it's like, man, I just got to get aroused. But, but listen, that actually matches what the Bible's telling us. Because if it was strictly physical, come on, it would meet the need right away. But because it's spiritual, you'll search and you'll search and you'll search, but you'll never find what you're looking for. Because all that can offer us, all sex with yourself, sex outside of bounds, it's not going to offer us the full picture. There's more to it. You see, married sex is the best sex. Come on, somebody. That, that, that's really the essence. That's really the thesis. Now, for some of us, it's like, Pastor, well, what do I do? You know, what's my next step? What, what do I do next? And listen, I kind of want to shift this for everyone. I told her we're going a little over time. God bless you guys. God bless our kids' programs. What do we do next? Like, like how do we push forward? What, what does God want for us sexually? Because here's the thing. Whether you are married or not, but especially if you're married, can I tell you something? Boundaries don't end. Listen, some people are like, well, I'm great, it's great I'm married. <laughs> Check. But listen, boundaries are there forever. And then even within marriage, let me show you guys something. Matthew chapter five, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Come on, somebody, who needs to repent? I'll lead the way. Listen. Because the beauty of sex within marriage, because it's physical, because it's spiritual, because it's emotional, because it's powerful, is that the enemy will do anything he can to destroy that. Whether it's before marriage, during marriage, hopefully not after marriage. The devil will do anything to destroy it. And so I love what Jesus says. Because Jesus, because he could have just stopped and said, guess what, don't cheat on your spouse, that's good enough. And for the majority of us, that's pretty easy. It's like, all right, I'm not going to cheat. But what Jesus does, Jesus takes sexual purity, purity to the next level. And he gives us another boundary. And this is a boundary that can help us in marriage or before marriage. 
He says, forget having sex. He says, I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully or a man lustfully, anyone that watched the Super Bowl halftime show lustfully, <laughs> this year or last with Adam Levine, <laughs> has already committed. You know why he says this? Because adultery doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts in our hearts. Sexual impurity does not start in the back. It starts in our hearts. And Jesus knows this. And so here's the principle that he's saying. Here's the principle I want to leave us with. I spent a whole lot of time explaining. And I hope I did a good job. And I hope for those of you guys who are married, you can explain to your kids better now. That sex is more than physical. It's more than a need. It's spiritual. It's covenantal. But it's like, hey, what do I do? What does my life look like? Here's the thing that God wants us to do. It's a simple point. He wants us to aim higher. It's that, as, as people, we have a tendency to do the very bare minimum. You guys know what I'm talking about? Not cheating is the very bare minimum. Jesus says, guess what? You shouldn't even slide into their DMs. Even if it's a smiley face. Come on, somebody. Who'd that hit? He says, aim higher. He says, aim higher. Let me show you what he says next. This is so good. So what do we do? How do I aim higher? Look what he says. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body for, for than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, now listen, Jesus is not literally saying take your eye out. But what he is saying, he's like, if you have to, do it. Cut it off. That's what he's saying. He's saying anything in your life that is causing you to stumble, anything that is causing you to go outside of the bounds, outside of the picture that God has for your life, cut it off. You know what that means for a lot of us? It means delete Instagram. It means you're not following that person anymore because you are never following them for fitness inspiration. He says, cut it off. You know what that means at work? Listen to this. If you have a relationship that's going too far and it's inappropriate, you know what he says? He says, quit your job. Something like, pastor, I couldn't quit my job. What would you rather lose, your job or your family? He says, cut it off. I can't get rid of my laptop. Well, at least get some accountability in your life. Because the devil comes to seek and to kill and to destroy. And because of the power of sex and the beauty of sex, the most beautiful things that God gives us are the things that can be easily twisted. And so that's the point that the enemy is going to attack us in. And that's why I know this message hits all of us. Because he comes to seek. And so Jesus says, aim higher, aim higher. You want to know why? Look at 1 Corinthians 6. We're going back and forth a little bit here. But Paul says this. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, commit adultery, prostitutes, homosexuality, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheap, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I need to suss this up. I need the whole band up here for a second. Except the singers, just the musicians. Prince and Noah, drill. He says, don't you know that none of these will inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if you guys are with us about four weeks ago, we learned something very important. We learned that behavior does not determine salvation. I'd encourage you to go listen to that message. In other words, we said, what you do does not get you into heaven. What you don't do does not cause you to be lost. And so when Paul is speaking here, Paul is not speaking about salvation. 
Because it's very easy to be like, man, is he saying if I'm greedy, like I'm not going to heaven? Is he saying if, I, if I'm indulging in sexual sins, like I'm, that's not what he's saying. What he's talking about though is an inheritance. He says those who do all of these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. The reason that God wants us to strive for purity in our lives is because God has an inheritance for you. Did you know that? God has something for you. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. He has a hope for you. He has a dream for you. He has a vision for you. And you're going to change this world. That's an inheritance not for me, but for all of us. And so what the enemy wants to do is the enemy wants to make sure that you never achieve your inheritance. And so that's why so often he'll hit us at the point of sexuality because sexuality is the easiest thing to be exposed because it's so powerful. He says, don't you realize God has an inheritance for you? God has something for you. Can I tell you something, church? God has something for you. For some of us, God has that person for you. It's that partner for you. And God does not want you to go into that relationship having to explain the last six months. It's an inheritance. But it's so much more than relationship. God has a blessing that he wants in your life. And what happens with sexual sin, you guys will know this, is that it puts a wall between us and God. And we can only come to a point. And the thing about inheritances that is so crazy is that what that means is God wants to bless you so much that God wants to bless the next generation. Not just you. God wants to bless your family. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us, and this is kind of harrowing, is that inheritance can be passed down, but what also can be passed down is iniquity. Some of you guys are like, what's iniquity? Iniquity is just a big word for habits and patterns. Bad habits and bad patterns. Look what Numbers 14 says. It says, He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation. Now, this is not saying that your kids are guilty because of what you've done. That's not what it's saying. That's a bad theology. What this is saying, and what you guys know to be true, is that we will actually pass things down to the next generation. You guys know this. I've heard you. Man, my kid is a spaz just like I was. Short-tempered just like me. But listen, the Bible tells us that our sins, our bad habits, will actually be passed down. Can I be honest? When Christy got pregnant, I had to say to myself, God, what do I want to pass down? I don't want them to deal with the things that I dealt with. I don't want them to struggle the way that I've struggled. But it says the guilty will go down to the third and to the fourth generation. Iniquity. And God has something better for us. God has something better for generations. Can I tell you guys something? Let's stand up for a second. You guys picked a good day to come to rehab. Because you know what it says about things being passed down? Can you put the verse back up for a second? It says, those who are guilty, the iniquity is passed down. Now what if, like what if just for a second, what if there was something, what if there was someone, come on, that could make us not guilty? What if there was an act that they could take away iniquity, they could break the chains. Can I tell you guys something? Listen to this, church. The trend breaks today. Iniquity ends today. 
It doesn't matter where you are, what stage of your relationships, whatever you have brought down from the past, whatever you have brought down from your parents, iniquity ends today. The cycle ends today. You want to know why? Isaiah 53, prophesying about Jesus, says this. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, what's that word? Iniquities. I died for those habits. I died so the cycle could be ended. He said he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And here's the promise. By his wounds, we are healed. Come on, clap our hands. Listen to this, church. Every head is bowed. I want you guys to hear this. Whatever we've gone through, whatever we're doing, wherever we find ourselves on the spectrum, guess what? It ends today. For some of us, you've stepped out of bounds like a real far away. And it's like, God, like I'm not sure. Like If people knew what I did, if people knew who I was, guess what? Jesus says we're all on the same plane. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We're all on the same playing field. Jesus says, by my stripes you're healed. I was crushed for your iniquity. Listen to this church. We want to give you the chance to give your life to Jesus. We want to give you the chance to give your life to the, 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 the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one that can cleanse us, the one that can end cycles and break chains. But we have to let him in. We have to let him into our lives. And so right now in this place, if you want to give your life to Jesus, it's super simple. All I'm going to ask you to do is just raise your hand. And what you're doing is you're saying, God, I want to give you my life. I just want, I want to give it to you. I want to follow you. And I have another appeal coming, so just, just wait for a second. But if you want to just give your life to Jesus for the very first time, if that's you, just raise your hand. When I count to three, just raise your hand. Just show me a one, two, three. You're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. Come on, somebody. I'm going to invite the prayer team up right now. For anyone in this room, you feel like you're in a space, you feel like you're in a spot, and it's like, God, I've fallen short. God, my life is just is filled with, with downfalls, it's filled with sin, it's filled with iniquity. God, I just want to be pure. I want to break the cycle. I want my marriage to be better. I want my relationships to be better. I want my singleness to be better. If that's you this morning, with every head still bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to pray for you. I just want you to raise your hand. Just say, God, I want to aim higher. I want to aim higher. I don't want, I don't want my kids to deal with what I dealt with. I don't, want, I don't want what the last generation have. I want something more. I want to aim higher. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. I'm going to pray. God, you see our hands. You see our hearts. God, I just pray for anyone in this room, Lord, that they have fallen short we just come to you, God, at the foot of the cross. We just accept your promise that you have cleansed us, you have healed us, you have made us whole, God. We love you, we love you, we love you, we need you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you want more information, if you'd like to visit us in person, head over to our website, kingdomchurch.ca, and plan your visit today. We can't wait to meet you. Until next time, take care. Thank you.